1: Today's guest is Maria Lupita Gurule. is a certified medical support, clinical hypnotherapist, and a world-class psychic medium. Maria has had multiple near-death experiences, and the last time she was on the podcast, we spoke about her near-death experience where she saw the Divine Mother and was shown the secrets of the universe. In this episode, we got her back to finish speaking about that NDE, as well as some of her others. Maria, thanks for coming back. I really appreciate you joining me and welcome.
0: Oh my goodness, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. There's been such a tremendous outpour that has come from the last interview that I am deeply and profoundly grateful to you and to all of your your viewership. So I, I'm honored. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you because without you and all my other guests, there would be no podcasts. Yeah. I don't. Well, I've you ne- do
0: a really good job.
1: Well, thank you. And I was going to say, I've never had an NDE, so there's nothing for me to talk about.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's amazing, right? So that's good because it gives us all. And, and for me, I have too much to say. Mm-hmm. So I am just so thankful that you've had me back because I watched it back. Mm-hmm. And the amazing thing is, is that I thought that I had shared so much more. So while I was in it just deeply in it, there's a, there's a thing that happens with me is that I'm very visual. And I, and I stated that, um, that like I had a whole lifetime while I'm there, while I was there in my NDE. So one of the things to explain is that it, I haven't worked to overcome my NDE. It's like, I'm, I had a really good conversation with my brother and he, and through that conversation to understand that I'm working through and with and in my NDE. So I explained that it was as if I was there for an entire lifetime, like I I was there for my whole lifetime in that amount of time that I was there. Now, you know, I was out maybe five to eight minutes, like I said, but I experienced like a whole lifetime only to come back. So while I'm here, it's as if I go back in my consciousness, I'm partially here, partially there. So like right now I'm talking with you and I'm going to address you and looking at you having eye contact, but there's a moment where things begin to shift and I kind of go really deep in my mind and see all this imagery. Well, when that's happening, there's so much going on that it doesn't necessarily get translated out into words. So when I was having this massive, deep experience of of really being in the moment and sharing it, that I didn't get to translate it all and, and express it out into words. And so I'm so thankful to be able to have this opportunity. Um I think maybe a really good place to begin if I may um if you're ready to just jump right into it is when I watched it back I I stated that for me it was the divine mother. It was, you know, the blessed uh the blessed mother. But there was a moment in that that where I described that this white light began to turn golden And I was so overcome with emotion that I could not fully express what was happening and what I was seeing is that while at the same time, I was seeing the divine mother, it, it, she was in in larger than life. It was, she was pixelated, but like almost see-through. I could see through her light was emanating through a translucent, but full in form. And while I was there, it, 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 that, Quite light, also transformed into this golden light, and that golden light had this healing energy. What I did not fully be able to express in that moment is that what I recognized is that also not only in her silhouette, in her the center of her of of her chest, if you will, in this sacred area, the heart center, I saw what would be called the immaculate heart. So it's a heart of flame and with flowers all around it but as this light transformed into gold and i stated that the that most people see jesus and the christ consciousness is always there i did not fully get to express what that even meant so as i'm watching her and seeing this heart aflame this immaculate heart i could see Through her and beyond her and even greater and bigger than her was like an um and this is not in human form so it's hard to describe it it feels as though i would have been microscopic and watching them grand like these these magnificent, extraordinary beings that are much larger. And I think it's just a, a perceptual thing to help me understand their grandeur, their importance, their magnificence. And so in seeing her Immaculate Heart, I could see through it. And then at a distance, as I mentioned, I could focus my eyes at a distance and, and see various things. But when I focused in the center of her immaculate heart, in the center of it, this flame there, there beyond it began to be like an additional image, almost superimposed with her, which was, which was the Christ consciousness and with, and with Jesus, the sacred heart of Jesus, which is has thorns, but it also is a flame. So I Instinctively knew that they were intrinsically in unity, individualized, but but in joined together. It, this is it, I I cannot fully express that entirely. So and from that distance, it felt like a distance, like there was her from this distance, and then bigger than her, even greater than her, but even further and beyond that. In that moment of looking into what I would call those God sparks, I, I could see this magnificent light in which everything seemed to come from. And that was through her sacred heart, and, immaculate heart, and then into his sacred heart, and then even beyond that, that I knew that there was something greater and bigger that felt like a distance but it was actually right here. I I still don't know how to explain that, that everything is here, but everything seems to also be at a distance. And so when I was overcome with that white light and then the golden light that transformed understanding the secrets of the universe, that they are all intrinsically connected. There's a verse in the Bible that says that, you know, only you can get to my father, but only through me. Well, her saying was, "You can only get to my son, but through me." And what that meant to me was that, you know, they're in they they are beings that are all interconnected in what we actually choose to see. So, in that moment of the last interview, when I was so overcome, it's like all of this complexity of what I'm seeing all instantaneously infused with so much emotion and feeling with awareness and understanding that I could not even begin to put that into words. And from that moment before I really understood, oh, I'm out of body, I had a near-death experience, what's happening? It was all of, again, the receiving, the nurturing, the joining, and then seeing this magnificence of how all of this works and how it's all held together together. It's far too complex to begin to describe it, but that was my first initial greeting within that white light that turned into the golden light that that I saw all of this. And because I saw all of this and had those multitude of questions, that's when things began to shift. And in the last interview, and trying to stay on track, you know, I, I kind of skipped over an entire piece when I realized, like, wow. I thought I had shared so much more. So thank God you asked me back, because there's so much layers to this, and out of it people have asked some really extraordinary questions that I think that we can get to. Mm-hmm. So from that place, what I understood from seeing her was that we are all one. It is the absolute the, the absolute divine law of one. I don't know how to explain that but that's really what we all are. So what I was shown through her intrinsically connected to him and he intrinsically connected to the universe, the god, this grand energy that we can't even begin to describe. It's it's all interconnected and also showing our part in it. So that's one of the biggest pieces that I needed to continue to explain and one of the questions that you had for me is, you know, if it was more religious or spiritual, and what do I consider myself now? And I do consider myself more spiritual, but I have not given up my religion or my faith. Mm-hmm. I am still Catholic. I, I just don't teach second grade catechism anymore. Um, I still, you know, and and this is where people might have a hard time with the Bible thinking that, well, you know, you can pick and choose what you follow. Well, I do because so much of what's in there is not necessarily the way that it was intended. So that should clear up a lot of questions that people may have. From that moment and that experience of seeing her and then through her greater him was really the message then was it's going to it is it is religious in content and I don't want the entire experience to be swayed in that it was all entirely religious because it wasn't. It's interspersed with a multitude of complexities of religion, spirituality, science, um, you know, physics, all of these different things. And all of those are all, all real and part of it. There's not one that supersedes the other. One is not right over the other. They are all working together and all of them are just parts of the whole truth and that's what I really want to convey from this is that yes there were spiritual components but religious components but also physical metaphysical and uh, you know all of these other components with it as well so it was just overwhelming in the moment so that was the full experience that I had at that time and then upon my realizing wow okay, now I understand why I'm here, then things began to change, and then I stated that I worked with the council. Mm -hmm.
1: All right, I have a couple questions for you. One is, you use the word pixelated, which (sighs) me sounds something digital, or perhaps you were looking at a holograph. Mm -hmm. So I want you to comment on that. And two, um, I think you were saying that you were speaking about the oneness, that we're all one, and does that possibly mean that we are all one, we are all Jesus, we are all the Divine Mother, we are all God, everything is just one thing? Is that what you're saying?
0: Everything. Everything is one thing, and that's where people are going to get caught up because how dare we say that I am God, I am Jesus, I am the Blessed Mary, I am the universe. How dare we blasphemy hmm. that we that somehow we are considered less than but what people do not understand is that in our humanness and in our indoctrination in our dogma thinking that somehow we are less than but every single one of us is a pixel within the divine mm-hmm. we if you had this divine massive scape of of the universe it's almost like looking out into the stars like if one of us was missing from the sea of black, you would know instantaneously that one was missing because that white would peer right through it. Mm. So we, so from that origination that I was shown, it was as if I was watching the entire reality, our realm, our, our universe create before my eyes. And the people, science will call it Planck time. So Planck, um, that, that where everything happens. How can the universe happen within seconds? Okay, so it's complex, but it, it's true. Every single one of us started from a pinpoint. Every single one of us was part of that one individual pinpoint. And then from there, we exploded in what, 360 degrees out into a sphere and just emanated everywhere. So it's not just souls. It is everything that is in existence, mm. the rocks, you know, the water, planets, the, the all of the um, all of all of the compounds that make up the entire universe, stardust, you know, everything that was is in existence, all was created from the one. And so, yes, that does include Jesus and Mary, and and all of the 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 masters, you know, the, those spiritual masters that we've come to know on earth, Buddha, um you know, Gandhi, even uh, St. Teresa. So there's a multitude of them out there that we that know this. And that's what I was shown. If we understood this, we would never hurt another because we are only hurting ourselves. If we by intention, this is what I was shown in that place, is that if through our intention, we send out uh, an, an intent to harm another, It would send out these ripples that will only build greater and greater that will fall back on ourselves like a tsunami of pain of our own making because we are only hurting ourselves. So the greatest example that I could give is like a baby when they are not aware of their physical body. So if you're watching a newborn infant and we have one in our family, they'll tug at their feet and they'll, you know, scream and cry because they don't realize that they're the ones that are hurting themselves because they don't realize that their foot is part of their own body. Watch an infant. And it, you'll see that we are infants like that. We do not understand. And there are other species in the universe that understand that humans do not. And so there are a multitude of, of, of souls that have chosen to incarnate that have this knowledge, this massive divine knowledge that have chosen to incarnate as humans That's what I started to explain in the last interview to begin to make that shift from within. If enough souls on this earth understand that every single thing that I do has an effect, I am responsible for every single word I say. I would never with intention say something that would cause harm to another because then I will have to reap the consequences of that. So that's Dharma and karma. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's complicated there. So yes, it's that divine law of one. We are all one, and and it's it's kind of it's kind of um, uh, like a double negative that absolute divine law of one. So absolute by definition means everything. So it's absolute. We are all part of it, and none of us could be separate from it, even if we wanted to. And here's the even most amazing part, Jeff, is that no one has to believe what I have to say or what anybody else has to say because they're going to experience this for themselves, of their own awareness, on the time of their own passing, when they themselves cross, will also come into this knowledge and awareness. Now, the difference with me is that um, that filter has been removed. It's like all of us here, are incarnate, has this knowledge, but in in a filter, if you will, that kind of keeps us like a like a um um a barrier from accessing all of that. Mine is gone. My filter is gone from my near death experience. So, like I can have that access and and really go back and forth. I feel like when I am working in this way, I do feel like I still visit the other side. Like I still work with my counsel. I still work with even myself. From that place, I know that's really complicated to explain, but that's how, like I said, I my NDE has not diminished; it has only gotten more vivid and and more in depth. Mm
1: -hmm. All right, let me stop you there. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure last time when we spoke, you had mentioned that you came, you chose to come here, and and go through all this terrible stuff, right? Yes. So since you chose this, but you're also talking about if we don't do any terrible things, you know, everything could be, I'm guessing you're saying everything could be better if we choose to make, you know, do, do good things, not do bad things to other people, etc., etc. But if we don't do these bad things, then no one can ever choose to come here and endure all these bad things.
0: Right. It, we're here by choice. Nobody makes us. And here's the thing is that we come here to experience. And the more we experience, oftentimes what happens as humans incarnate, we create imbalance. So for a perfect example is that just by, just by our existence, we're going to have different experiences that are going to create imbalances. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to go to extremes and cause harm. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that that soul who chooses to cause harm will now have to reap the consequences or, and I don't like to call it consequences because it sounds like it's a punishment. Mm -hmm. It is just the result. So if I intend harm, the result is that I have to come back and experience the result of that harm, the cause of the harm. So that's what we create all these imbalances. So what happened is that on this human plane, we got all of the human souls stuck in this karma and dharma wheel where there's it's everybody, the majority of people are so far out of balance and don't know how to get back into balance. And so what does that mean is that, well, first do no harm. And second of all, do be in alignment with yourself, showing up, doing your part. So, when we learn these things, then we do not have to incarnate. So when we are on the other side, again, we know tolerance, we know compassion, we know forgiveness. We know that as a soul level, those are things that are our concepts, okay um, that the soul is trying to evolve and learn and understand. Now we incarnate as human soul, as human beings into these experience, to apply those principles that we're learning, those spiritual principles, kindness, generosity, forgiveness. Um, You know, if souls are working things out amongst themselves that if they've caused harm to each other in past lifetimes, they will incarnate again to work it out in the hopes that they will apply those those greater spiritual knowings that we all know on the other side and do it here and then try and try and try again and again. So the more we're able to get it and be fully responsible for ourselves and don't place blame, we can get out of it and not have to incarnate and not have to go through all of this. And nobody makes us. It is we do it of ourselves. The further and further we get out of balance, it's like we want to try again. It's like a kid who keeps losing at a video game that wants to keep trying again and again and perfecting it and learning it and going over again and again until we do. That's why this is, more of a holographic although very real tangible material it's in a dimension of of three dimensions you know that on the other side we're trying to apply all of it um so coming into the material so it's theoretics versus practical that's complicated
1: (laughs) all right well what else did we miss from your nde last time that we left unsaid
0: Okay, so we mentioned that. Oh wait, I'm, me, I'm so, sorry.
1: I'm so sorry to interrupt sure. you, but for people who didn't see you last time, can we quickly just say, just very briefly, how did you end up having your NDE? And then we'll we'll move on to what we left out. I'm so sorry. I don't remember, but I do this every day almost. So I, they absolutely start to, okay, understandable. They start to fade into each mm-hmm. other.
0: Well, and what I love about that, Jeff, is that even though all of our experiences are unique there are similarities within them Mm -hmm. and that's what I love about your program is to be able to say that they are individualized because we are individual we have our own experience and that there are going to be some similarities and consistencies Mm -hmm. in them Mm -hmm. so for mine uh, my what I call my full-on near-death experience uh, happened for me on uh, the day that my daughter was born it was on June 5th of the year 2000 and I had an epidural Uh, so I was given some anesthesia during the epidural, just to kind of help alleviate the pain. Um, I'm sorry, during the delivery to help alleviate the pain because they had to induce me. So really quick, hard, fast contractions. Uh, She was born within, you know, three hours. So they chose to keep the catheter in my back because I was scheduled for um, a tubal ligation. I had, this was my second pregnancy and uh, my body could not tolerate pregnancies. She was induced uh, because she was in distress. And um, so it was at the point where either she or I um, could go into further complications. And so she was induced. Now, because of my complicated pregnancies, I had a far worse one, my first pregnancy, um, that they, again, the scheduled tubal ligation, my body would not be able to handle another pregnancy. Um, So medically necessary. So I um, was given a dose of anesthesia through the catheter. Now, the difference is is the epidermis is just just outside of the spinal fluid. And so it just helps alleviate some of the pain. Now, the difference between a spinal block is that um, it's injected into the spinal fluid. Now, what happened with me is that the the fluid, the, the, the anesthesia that was given through the catheter was one of the complications could be is that it affects either too far up the spine or the dose is too large or fast. Either way, I was affected by it. Um, I was not given general anesthesia. I was given a spinal block. And from that spinal block, my heart stopped my heart stopped pumping and my lungs well, I, I could no longer breathe so um it stopped everything function from the midway up when it was only supposed to just alleviate the pain or any kind of sensations from this area down so um my heart stopped i stopped breathing i um i fainted or or went out unconscious and then um i came uh, became alert uh, just as they were wheeling me into the um, operating room, um, I could see them getting uh, the crash cart and everybody getting into place. Um, and so my the the blood flow was shunted from the brain, and so they had to also. Um, and I could not was not breathing on my own, so they had to intubate me. So that's where they put a device down through the trachea into the bronchioles and then actually breathe for you. And then I also had to be resuscitated. So during that amount of time I was out and what happened is that during that chaos, I was hovering above myself, seeing the chaos, but didn't care. And then that's when everything completely, you know, went white in the room. Mm -hmm. And then I've already described, you know, what happened in that whiteness. And so um, that was the first one. Mm -hmm. The, um, the, in, in that process, after that whole magnificent seeing first the blessed mother, then seeing the greater Christ consciousness, Jesus with the the hearts, um, the the hearts of flame. I don't know how to describe that. I call it the God spark. And then from there, I was um, I, I stated that it transitioned into another area to help me do a life review. So I'm, I'm probably skipping ahead. Yes, I don't know if that's, you want me no, no, to stop now that's,
1: that's all I wanted. Just a brief. So now we I, and, and as you said it, I started remembering that it was yeah during your pregnancy. So you had that NDE. What did we leave out from last time?
0: I was shown. So after that experience, that ground massive experience, and then um, not having to make the decision on the spot that I that I needed the assistant. I didn't want to live. I didn't. I wanted to stay there. And so there was a process of of working with my counsel. And I stated last that there's twelve and one added. So let me explain that. That there's that there's three specific groups that I work with, uh, worked with, and will continue to work with. I don't know how to explain that. I, I'm still very aware of it, and and can feel it if I, if necessary. But I know that there's three that I work with, and from there I was working with one particular group that was helping me to decide if I want if I was to stay within this life. You know, so every soul makes the decision of whether they will continue in the life um, through their NDE. So part of that for me was reviewing my life. I described being able to look at it like in a book as though it moved. But there was more than that. I was taken to a room, for lack of a better word. But from this this grand room, it looked like I was standing on a platform. And from this platform, it was almost like an IMAX. That's the best way I could describe it. The closest analogy that I could give is like an IMAX theater, where it was as if I could immerse myself into a scene of my life so that I can engage with it and understand it. Very holographic. So yes, um, a pixel. So like everything in this world feels very very digital very electrical very very um the te- technological like the advanced it's a complicated but from this platform i was able to to see my life and from this original place that's where i i didn't experience through memory my first near death experience what happened is that i was i was shown to me so in this room that I was taken after looking at smaller parts in this device that I had, like a book, like taken to this greater room that had this IMAX type uh, theater thing that I could immerse myself in. I could feel what I could somehow like engage into that scene, uh, feel myself. But then if I, at moments I could even shift my perspective into another of this scene. So for example, if I say I had an explosive fight with my father and as an example, and I wanted to experience it, I could be taken to that moment and freeze frame my life completely put on pause. I could look at it through certain aspects and then be able to see it and then also experience it from my father's perspective mm. so that I could have greater understanding. And so there's all of this interplay that happens when we're actually looking at it. So the very first near-death experience I had, the very first thing that I was shown was when I was in utero. So the last uh, interview that we did, so much emphasis was put on my name. And I said that I would explain why I was called, named after Our Lady of Guadalupe. Well, I was born late. I was born three weeks late. My mom, they wanted to induce my, my, induce me, but my mom refused. And, um, there was some complications that her water bag broke. Um, and so she was put on bed rest for probably about a week before I was born. So I was born under duress as well. And so what I was shown from that platform was being able to see myself make the decision if even I wanted to be born. Because I knew how complex my life was gonna be now i i my life i I have had just about every experience that you can possibly imagine all rolled into one lifetime so that I could have this massive um crash course of of learning, and so I chose it all every single bit of it, and what I was shown and was shocking to me is that. At the moment, while I was in my mom's womb, I was making the choice of even to be born, which means that if I had not, my mom would have suffered yet another miscarriage. So my mom suffered a miscarriage before me. She had me. I was I was a difficult pregnancy. I was born late, um, and then she had a miscarriage after me. And so what we have to understand is that even souls that are within the womb, even in utero, that that it's a complex process. Not all souls are merged immediately. There's a process with it. I was there pretty, I remember, I was shown. So, and and having doubts, and my life has been very, very complex and difficult as, as everybody's is. And so I was making that decision. That was the very, very first near-death experience, I, I was shown because I was making this decision whether to be born even. And so I out of that, a complicated birth for my mom and a three-week late birth for me. That was the result of me not, not fully wanting to make the, the decision, do I come here or not? And so obviously I did. So from the moment that I was born, I did not want to be here. <laughs> So that longing of wanting to go home has always and forever stayed with me. I was born to very loving parents. Like they have good, you know, had a good experience. And, and, and I knew that it was going to be very complex and I just didn't want to. And so when we fast forward that, so can we just pause there? Cause that's a lot to take in mm-hmm. that even, you know, within the womb and I and I'm gonna fast forward here mm-hmm. because this same thing happened with my son. So my son Mateo, uh he was my firstborn. He was born ten and a half weeks early. Mm-hmm. He was I was put on uh bed rest just after my third trimester. Um I barely could contain and hold him. Um, I had um, toxemia that went to preeclampsia that converted into this condition called HELP, H-E-L-L-P, where my body was completely shutting down. My mm-hmm. body could not tolerate the pregnancy. And so um, I went into preterm labor with him. They went to stopping the labor, going into bed rest, and then inducing the labor. Now, my son, um, he was I, I mean, I barely held him. So again, 10 and a half weeks early. He was only three pounds, one ounce when he was born. Mm. He stayed in the hospital for over a month. And my son dropped into the birth canal prior to the doctors even being ready. And what happens when infants drop into the birth canal, they do not, they are deprived of oxygen. The blood flow does, is shunted from the umbilical cord. So when they are actually within the birth canal, it, it, it's, it's uh, duress for the child. So nobody was in position. They were not expecting me to have him. I was barely dilated. And so this was not expected. So I had my, um, this would be my third uh, near-death experience was with him out of that experience. So my birth to now me being a mother, my having my first birth and he being born, um, he had to be resuscitated. So my son was also born but he was born not alive. He had to be resuscitated. Mm-hmm. So my, I experienced that. And, and I also passed out and I actually did um, completely pop out. I do remember the room going white, but I remember that I was told on the other side that I needed to be, my son was, I was in the middle of birth, I, right in the middle of birth and I remember after he was born and seeing him at a distance, he was blue as could be. I I heard one microscopic cry out of him and collapsed. And when I collapsed, I was out. Um, and they actually did have to bring me too. Um And I got to hold him for a moment and he stayed in the hospital for over a month. And I was in the intensive care for about three days. Um, so that was, again, life and death are intrinsically tied. And for whatever reason in my life, born almost not, and then every other experience thereof. So both of my births, uh, uh, my children's births have been extraordinarily difficult. And, and out of that birth, deciding life. So those two pieces tied Intrinsically tied, and so with my that experience of my my son, that was just a another what I would call a pop out—the moment of being there, and then and making the decision instantly to fully come back. So that was not a full-on near-death experience either.
1: It's so interesting that you said that because I just had a podcast with a medical doctor, and I haven't published it yet, but I guess it'll be published by the time this one's published. But he hasn't had an NDE, but he is a hospital doctor, so he's present when people die, and he's also present when people are born. And he said there's, he said something like, you get the same feeling witnessing birth and witnessing death. There's some kind of feeling that's the same.
0: Absolutely, Jeff. That is absolute, and I know this about my life, that my life... Is tied and bound to death. Mm. I mean, every single one of ours is, but mine, at a at a very different level. I understand birth and death at a very different level, mm. and so I'm I, I'm glad that you said that because I got to witness the the death of both my parents. So, and it's complicated to describe, and I don't even know if you want me to go into that, but I I, I was able to to witness it so again my life being about life and death so my father um, had uh, he had esophageal cancer and my father had to have an esophagectomy i was in tucson arizona with my mother when my father was going undergoing surgery the surgery was supposed to happen laparoscopically and something happened with the equipment and this is at the va hospital at tucson in tucson arizona and because this malfunctioned while the operation was in hand, they had to do emergency open surgery for my father. And so my father, um, came out, was like almost like Frankenstein when he should have only had a couple of little incisions. He had massive incisions. So he had a 12 inch incision in his upper chest and a 12 inch incision under his arm that went and extended behind his back. And my father was given um, an epidural prior to his surgery so that he would have a spinal block after his surgery so that it would stop the pain. My father, however, unfortunately, had a curvature of the spine. The anesthesiologist did not get the catheter fully into the spine. And so my father was not given medications after the surgery. So he had part of his esophagus removed, part of his stomach removed, Um, He had a tube inserted into his lungs and he had no pain medications. Mm. The doctor was in another surgery and was, uh, was the prescribing doctor and was not in a position to prescribe my father meds. After, after he came out of his anesthesia, he went into severe shock and duress and it was my mom and myself present. And uh, she and I were the only ones in the room. Uh, He had to also be intubated and, my mom at that moment. So I am a medium. And like I said, I, I, my experience has not diminished that part of my experience. I still straddle both. Now, all of us do, every single one of us has a greater part of our soul, if you will, on the other side, and a portion of us incarnates here. Every single one of us, that is true. That's its existence does not require our belief. In other words, it it exists whether I believe in it or not. And people will experience this for themselves. And so with that knowledge, I'm fully aware that I'm still there. So what happens for me, Jeff, is that I can, because that filter is gone, I can perceive this. So in that moment that my father is in absolute chaos, it feels and I can perceive the collapsing of both of these realms. I could feel my grandparents, my father's mother and father, and I could feel his um, his brothers who had passed before him. And I could feel all of this energy. It's like a, a, a portal almost, if you will, would open. And my dad's face just instantaneously went white. He instantaneously let go and and, and he died in that moment. And and forgive my language for this, but this is the truth. My mom shouted out at that moment, Daniel, get your ass back here. Mm. (laughs) And, And in that moment, I am not joking with you. There was like a shock and a startlement and they were able to secure him, but I was able to see it. And in that moment that he was back in the body, it felt like everything closed and everything separated again. And then we went into three hours of trying to just stabilize him. Mm. But I have felt that I, it it is an extraordinary thing. So me born out of that, having that as a three-year-old, I explained that in the last uh, video, then in the birth of my son, and then in the result after the birth of my daughter, my own death, and then now my father's. And so All of these different pieces that there, again, is so much more than we can possibly even begin to imagine.
1: Mm. So many people pray to Jesus, pray to God, and would dream just to have some type of experience with Jesus or God or whatever their Savior is or, you know, whatever religion they are. And it's almost like the people who have NDEs are the lucky ones to encounter Jesus, God, angels, etc. do you think they're just lucky or is there any, it's just coincidence that these people get to experience when so many people are praying to don't?
0: Mm, that is such a good question. I think that it is uh, um, partially, a, 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 I call it a setup of the soul. I, I feel that this was a crossroads for me because I had veered so far off my path that, um, that I needed that massive experience To basically kick me back into gear because after my near death experience, I went into um, a different direction, if you will. I became more spiritual. I, I be, I became what I had always intended to be. And so I, I do feel for those who have not had the benefit of an NDE. And that's why I am very careful to say that they, I, I know, I know that when the moment happens, I'll be ready and I welcome it and and that i do not fear it whatsoever and so i i pray that that those who have not had the experience for themselves could you know be able to peer into it uh, through the eyes of others like ourselves but here is one thing that people can do is that they they don't have to die to have this experience that the, there are things that people can indeed do to help themselves in, in the, in their conscious mind and their conscious thinking in their living and not have to have a death experience in order to appreciate life. And, and that happens with. It requires a lot of work, Jeff. We're, we're here, humans, with a ton of experience and hurts and harms and things that we're here to overcome. And we think, like, how could we even begin to, to think that life could be peaceful in that way? But there are practices that people can have. There are things that they can do, you know, to have themselves help themselves have these experiences. So uh, the next closest thing to a near-death experience could be an out-of-body experience. And what I've also understood, if people have watched the Netflix uh, show that's out there, there's one woman in there that I, my heart just goes out to her because technically she was, um, you know, medically having issues, but she never had a deaf experience. She was in trapped in the material plane. She was in and never really had that full on experience. And so, of all of those in that series, she's the one who really struggled with it the most because she did not have that experience. And I wish that I could explain is that she didn't have that full receiving that her her experience, her consciousness was still within the material plane. That's why in, she was able to remote view and, you know, see um, her husband, I think it was at, at an airport or something. And so people can have those experiences without having to have the deaf. That they can work ways uh, to through meditation, transcendental meditation, through other types of practices, um, sometimes drumming, sometimes running. People have spontaneous blissful moments while writing music. You know, that they have these deep connection moments, moments of connection, and that those are very spiritual moments. Now, again, not a full-on near-death experience. And 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 I've come to understand that even some people with near-death experiences aren't as full as mine, and I think that is all by design, um, and that we can, you know, look to those pieces and help ourselves when we understand that there is a greater portion of ourselves that we can tap into to help us. And that's not unique to me; that every single one of us has that. The only difference is that filters removed from me. And I'm very aware of it and I work with it intentionally that others can choose to with intention also be able to help themselves in some way. And that's part of my purpose. That's part of the things that I'd love to do and teach is to help people through this, to make this life experience better because it's hard.
1: Um, So you're also a hypnotherapist. What do you mostly hypnotize people for? What is like your average client? I'm just curious. Mm
0: Thank you for asking. It's been a while since we've had in-person practices, and um, I, I chose to to start practicing after my father so I could help become a caregiver, but I'm a clinical medical support hypnotherapist, and so um, that is to help people prepare for their medical procedures. So while my father was going in for his surgery, I was actually helping him what's called a healing script. To actually, help them do have uh, some some healing, some peace while they're going through the procedure, but also what's called accelerated healing after the procedure. Um, and so, I've helped uh, a multitude of people. One of the most amazing was a gentleman who had to have um, he had Parkinson's and he was he had uh, an electrode inserted into his brain, and he had to be completely aware and alert through that procedure. So, through a series of hypnotherapy sessions, helped to get him into a really calm state because he had to be completely aware, alert, and awake during that procedure. So he had like a cranial skull and a cranial crown and to hold his skull still. And um, that was probably one of the most profound. So medical procedures, uh, also healing afterwards. But also um, I have done natal regressions, interlife regressions, and past life regressions. Mm. And so helping people understand those pieces as well. Because again, we are so complex so much more reality to our soul than just this one existence. And so I've done all of those different pieces. And um, I I also have over eight years of uh, formal shamanic study and initiations and apprenticeship. So I can do um, a hybrid of what's called the soul retrieval, um, which is to help people, it's a process to help people overcome traumas and things. Mm. So, it's a combination, so I create and every single person is so different and unique, so I do a lot of different things
1: upon um hypnotizing for past life regressions after doing so many people, has that made you reevaluate your n d e or give you any more insight into your n d e
0: Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. it has made it only like I said, my experience has not diminished some peoples may fade like like a dream. Although I don't feel that, I feel most people who have NDEs, that it is very much, uh, very rich and very, very um, uh, vivid and lucid. I think that for me, because I work with the mind and understanding this and and being able to have those different transcendental experiences, mystical experiences, um, I would probably say that it has definitely made it much more rich, much more understandable and much more workable. Hmm. So like I said, I work with my NDE, not just to overcome, but it feels like part of me is still there, which it is, and that I get to join somehow and and and, and work with it somehow. It still feels very tangible and very immersible for me, very workable for me in this present moment, in those moments, like when I with intention.
1: I was chatting. That makes with, sense. <laughs> I was chatting with somebody about that during an NDE. Over there is like real life; it's so real, such a reality. And this life on Earth is a joke. It like doesn't matter.
0: That's Maybe. what it feels like, and that's what makes it so hard for us to come back. Is because there, it as yeah, I lived my entire lifetime. I lived my entire lifetime over there in preparation for me to come back to help myself. I I, I don't know how else to say that. Mm -hmm. And and it is very complex that it was, that is probably even more real and vivid and clear than here. So when I first came back, Oh my God, I struggled. I, you know, was put on almost on antidepressants. I actually was put on antidepressants, but it didn't work with me. It just didn't work with my system for a while. And so, all of those different struggles, because it feels so out of place. Like I had already felt like I wanted to go home my whole life. And so especially after that massive near-death experience in 2000, that it was very difficult to acclimate, to apply, and, and, and even know how to work with myself again. When we full know all of this on the other side and then you come back into your life right where you left off before, how do you apply it? So I I still had to overcome all of those difficult things I didn't want to face. I still had to you know, work through all of these things. So there's so much work to be done when we come back. And some of us do come back with clarity and, and greater purpose and others just you know, being able to just be able to hold that energy because it uplifts the world.
1: Do you know the story of Plato's Cave? I don't. The famous philosopher. Of, I don't know how. What is it? So many years before Christ. Plato. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Um, anyways, his this basic story has been overdone over and over again. But I, I to me, it it goes even deeper. And basically, it's I can just try to do it super quickly. Three people are chained inside of a cave looking at the wall. The fire is behind them. So their whole most of their life, all they ever see are the shadows on the wall. And the mm-hmm. shadows are them and from the sunlight or the, the fire behind them. And they hear noise. And, and when people move behind them, they can see the other shadows. But that's their whole reality. Until mm-hmm. one of them escapes the cave... And finds out the real reality of everything else. Uh-huh. And it goes on and on and on. So it's, I, I, I kind of feel like the NDE is escaping the cave here and finally getting back to the real reality.
0: Exactly. Because there, there's clarity. There, everything makes sense. We, we don't, we, what happens here, Jeff, is that not only do we, you know, choose. We choose, you know, our gender, we choose where we're going to be born, we choose where all of these different experiences. And it's kind of and it's not that I want to be very careful here to not say that everything is predestined and faded, because in there we also have free will and choice. And so what happens is that it's like you have a general idea of where you want to go. It's like you like planning a road trip. If I'm from here and I want to go to somewhere over there, I'm going to plan that trip. That's the destination, but I can get there a multitude of ways. And so that's how we come into. And that's what I was shown from that place is that I chose every single part of it. I chose those experiences. I chose those interactions. I chose those soul relationships that had, that could have gone, you know, any kind of different way based on the choices that we make. And so that's exactly it we have all of that clarity there. I love that analogy. And I hadn't heard that story before, but that makes perfect sense Mm. is that, you know, we are all parts of each other. Like in, and in, even that is that like we can see similarities within the other person. So that the saying namaste Mm. is that, you know, the soul within me, the light within me recognizes the light or the soul within you. And that's just, that's what that beautiful, greeting is namaste and to understand that what is in me is also in you you are me i am you when we understand all of these different interworkings and the responsibility that we carry we would show up in the world very differently so in the hopes that for those few of us that do escape that we're bringing in a whole other quality of energy on the earth at this time And that so more and more people, the more we're having a willingness to share. This should have come out before, but back in, in, you know, 200 years ago, we had the inquisitions, you know, where hundreds of thousands of people died, that where this knowledge was trying to come forward. And that was not, that was not allowed, you know, for whatever the forces may be. And so now we're coming back into this again, So that those people can make those shifts and changes and we can create something entirely different and escape the illusion, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, and when people understand that, wow, I, I chose this all, it it gets very disconcerting and very alarming at first, but then also saying, wow, then I have total control. Then I, then I have total choice. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing that we're here to understand. That's why we're here to understand, to understand that we have all of these things we're trying to learn and apply, and that we have divine choice in all of it, and we either do or don't, and, and hopefully we do. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll be able to make those choices, to not have to keep coming back into these hard lives.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. This is going to be a different question, but I think you've... I think if after your NDE, at some point you started making, you know, radical changes in your life and changing things and going different paths and choosing different directions and so on and so on. And I noticed the tattoo on your arm. Was that done after your NDE? And is there a story behind that? It has to do with, was, with your NDE.
0: Yes. As a matter of fact, it has to do with my NDE and what it is. It's an infinity symbol and it looks like a flame. It's got two spots on it, but it's like earth and heaven and the word trust. And, um, and here I have a very small uh, yin-yang uh, a balance. And those are, are definitely after my near-death experience. And, and for that, because of all of those radical changes that I was making that you mentioned, in there, I had to trust to keep the faith that even though it felt like everything was falling apart around me and that I did not have support that I felt like I needed, that I was doing the right thing because I was in alignment with myself. Now I resisted things because I didn't want to hurt anybody. Um, I was resisting life because, you know, I live a very monastic kind of lifestyle now. I'm very, very withdrawn. I'm very, um, secluded. I, I, you know, I don't have a lot of interactions and part of the work that I do requires that, but I was, you know, married before and, and that's not, doesn't make for a very good relationship. So I didn't want to hurt my children and, and, you know, anybody else. And so I was resisting those changes that I know needed to be made, but we come to the decision of, you know, I love myself and I love you enough that I, we can't do this And so having to make the changes and everything, once I did that, you know, everything began to fall into place and it wasn't easy and it did take a process and a course of about three years, you know, I was, I was overweight. uh, I wasn't feeling good. um, I felt very stagnant um, and and resisting life. And it was just hard because I didn't want to hurt anybody else in the process. And, you know, the divorce is extraordinarily taboo because, you know, we we were thought that we're to be bound, you know, but we have these people in our lives and they're not going to go away. It's just how we show up and we can choose to show up differently. And now, as you've mentioned, like I'm here in Vaughn and I have my best friend and she is also a medium. And so we have so much that we can share. You know, my life has taken off into a whole different direction and I am finally right in the place where I should be doing the things that I should be and with harm to none. It's never with intention to cause harm to another, but to live authentic in alignment with yourself. And so, you know, still being able to do all of these things, but people don't want to make those hard changes. So a divorce, a move, a business, a closing of a business, a changing of a job. So all of those look like massive, extraordinary losses, like m- massive stressors in people's lives. Most people are not willing to make those massive radical changes that are necessary to live in alignment. And so I, I did, I, and it was not easy. And the support around me you know, shifted and changed. And But now I can say that I finally am living right where I am supposed to, doing exactly as I'm supposed to. When I'm no longer in resistance of life, And it's not about harming others. It's just about understanding that every single person has a divine purpose and they must be in flow with that or life is going to get complicated and hurt.
1: Hmm. Hmm. That's very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I was going to ask a question along that line, but I didn't have to. She shared it for Mm -hmm. me anyways. All right. Well, before we go here, What is your website again, and what are the ways people can contact you?
0: Okay, thank you so much, Jeff. Yes, I am uh, social on Facebook as well as Twitter, Um, and it's my name, Maria Lupita Gurule. Uh, The Facebook page is um, uh, Maria Lupita Psychic Medium. Mm -hmm. Um, My website is just my name, Maria Lupita Gurule. So I also have a YouTube channel and I I have so much to say and share out of all of this to be able to help people. So I have a ton of stuff on the YouTube and um, no, it's not a ton. I have some there and I'm building it. So I'm really hoping that, um, you know, the content will grow and as well as with the website.
1: All right, great. All right, well, before we wrap it up, do you have one last message you can give us?
0: Um, yeah, I think that before my near death experience, like most people, life was so complicated and, and it was hard to be here, Jeff. I didn't really think that I would ever really come to a place of where I can honestly say now today, I'm so thankful that I am alive, that I have chosen to be here, to to have made that decision and to be able to share this with others so that we can all come to that place and make a better make a better place and Every single person will come to these truths on their own, so may these stand on their own. And I just wish people blessings, and that's the that's the, I guess the intention for me is that just leads to my purpose. I just want to be able to help people, and all that I do may I help people feel better. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to share.
1: Well, thank you again. Thank you for being my guest. I wish you the best. Stay warm up there in New Mexico, since it's gonna snow again soon, and. Yeah. Take care.
0: All righty, Jeff. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Thank
1: you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.